Good morning. We are the Borgelts. Uh, about 14, 15 years ago, we invaded Jones County from the north, and uh, we've given you two more Borgelts. This is Benson, and he's going to read Acts uh, five, chapter Acts five, verses twelve through sixteen. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord's multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as the Peter came out by at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning um, that we can just freely gather and worship you and study your word. Lord, let us never take that for granted. Um, Just uh, be with Justin this morning and um, let him be your mouthpiece and just let every word from scripture just soak into our hearts we know every story um, and every word is God breathed through you for um, for our prophet and uh, we just ask your blessing upon this service in Jesus name amen Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, uh, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 5, and we will be uh, obviously camping out in the verses that Benson read for us. Uh, And as you're flipping there, just a a few things. I know uh, that Ryan announced baptism this coming Sunday, but next Sunday we will be having uh, baptism. We have quite a few that are signed up, and if you have any questions about baptism or desire to be baptized, uh, please meet with us, and we would love uh, for you to celebrate with us uh, next week. Uh, the Holofields now are officially T-minus two weeks till Everett Dean uh, gets here, uh, or Rhett. Uh, and so I'll, be, I'll, I'll preach next Sunday, and then Lord willing, on the 10th, on Palm Sunday, Ash and I will be at Forest General Hospital uh, having a baby boy, or should be having a baby boy. I'll just be there for moral support. Uh, but anyway, so be praying for us as we're preparing for that. Uh, also, uh, last Sunday is whenever we t- uh, turned in our new church covenants that, that we have signed. If you, ha- if you didn't turn yours in or uh, have any more questions about that, obviously we're still, uh, would love to talk with you. Uh, I've had uh, ladies, I'm going to help you out. Uh, and so I know you're maybe preparing for what you're going to wear for Easter. Uh, and so uh, we will be, uh, weather permitting, we will be having Easter outside again this year. Uh, that's uh, April 17th. So. Uh, free you up there. Go ahead, pick out something for... Anyway, uh, but yeah, so we'll be doing uh, Easter outside this year, and also the Good Friday, which will be the 15th of April. Uh, we'll be having a Good Friday service in here, uh, and so every other year is whenever we do Ascend the Hill, uh, so that was last year, so this year we were just going to do a Good Friday service where we'll come in and worship together, uh, take of the Lord's Supper together, and so anyway, uh, make plans to be here Good Friday, and obviously Easter, uh, we'll be outside as long as it doesn't 
rain on us. We will hang out outside. Make sure you bring your sunscreen. Uh, I know I'll have to, my, my bald head got burned last year, wasn't preparing for that. Uh, and so anyway, uh, Acts chapter five. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're entering into a, 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 another moment in the church's history uh, where we're, we're coming off of, you know, the last two, yeah, really past three sermons uh, have been kind of in the framework of the church just with the church, right? And so uh, when we get midways through chapter four, uh, whenever Peter and John are dismissed from uh, the Sanhedrin, they go to their own, right? Remember, they go to the end of Acts four, they go back to their own and they pray for boldness. Uh, and then we see at the end of chapter four, was a, there was a summary statement of kind of what church life looked like. And then last week, Luke started us off in Acts five with, uh, with Anna and Sapphira. Uh, and so if you missed last week, please go back and check out that sermon. Luke did an incredible job with that text. And, uh, but what we've seen is like, since they've been, they were dismissed from the Sanhedrin, they just been, the church has been with the church, right? They haven't been back out into the mission yet, if you will. They haven't been back out to, uh, and so what we'll see is we're beginning to transition back to that. Uh, but the passage that, that Benson read for us is, is what is known as a, as a summary passage, right? And so it's not like the specific moment. We've seen a couple of them so far, right? And at the end of Acts chapter two, we have one of those summary statements whenever it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread. There's a summary passage that, that, that serves as a transition, if you will, right? And so when we ended Acts chapter two, we had that first summary statement of Luke, and what it did is it transitioned to the healing of the layman and the Peter and John being arrested, right? And so that we see that the summary text served its purpose to transition into a big moment, right? And then the, in the end, at the end of Acts chapter four, we had another summary statement of like the church life of how they were selling their, 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 their homes, they were selling their possessions and nobody was in need, And right? That was a summary text to what? Transition to Ananias and Sapphira. Right, so now we're into our third summary text in just the first five chapters uh, where we, I'll read it again, and this is the text. It says, now, many signs and wonders, this is verse 12 again, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Make sure you notice where they are. They are the same place uh, that Peter preached his sermon after he healed the lame man. And so they're going back to where they were. But anyway, so they're, they're at Solomon's portico, verse 13. And now none of the rest dared to join them. Interesting verse. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the uh, added to the Lord multitudes of both men and women so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats and that as Peter came by, at least this shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all healed. So you can tell by the, by the way that Luke writes there, this is just a summary statement. This isn't just a, an instance, this isn't a moment. What, what it's doing is, is painting a backdrop to what's about to happen, right? So this, this, this sermon this morning is, a, is really just a, a, uh, uh, it's a transition, if you will. We're, we're gonna walk through this passage, but really it's setting the stage because Peter and John are about to get arrested again. And so this is, a, this is what we're seeing here. But it's important that we capture what's going on. 
Last time that uh, we, we saw these apostles, if we go back in chapter four, they were warned by the Sanhedrin, right? They were warned by the Sanhedrin, do not speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter's response was, we can't help but to do this. Right, so we saw them get warned. We saw them in the end of chapter four actually pray that the Lord would continue to work and that he would grant them boldness. Right, everybody with me? But they haven't had to be bold yet. They were warned. They prayed for boldness. But since that moment, they've just been dealing with church stuff. They haven't been out into the street yet again. They've been inside the building, if you will. And there's this, there's this, this is an important moment in church history because they have been warned to stop coming into public places and preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Do not do that anymore or there will be serious consequences. What are they going to do? Are they going to become creative and get you know, sneaky way of evangelism? Are they going to hush up? Are they going to listen, obey the Sanhedrin rather than obeying the Lord? And Luke very emphatically says, now, many signs and wonders are being done by the, at the hands of the apostles regularly. So no, they didn't back down. They didn't remain silent. They, they actually, says they go back to Solomon's portico, which is the first place that they got in trouble. Right, so you see their, their boldness here. And so what I want to talk about this morning is the church's commitment to evangelism. Because the reality is what we see is that they were committed to the mission of God. They were 100% committed, even in the face of adversity, even in the face of, of, of resistance or potential their life being at harm, they didn't lose sight of what their purpose was. They didn't lose sight that they were called, listen to me, and we're going to see this, not just Peter and John, but the church. When I say the church, I mean the people who claim to know Jesus, that they were committed to evangelism. They were committed to going out and sharing the good news of the gospel, is what we see in this text. So if you're taking notes, number one is we see the commitment to evangelism. We see it in verse 12. It says, now, many signs and wonders were being done regularly, irregularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And check out this. And they were all together. Not, the, you know, the first time we see a miracle is Peter and John walking into the temple. This time we see the apostles there, but they were, the rest of the church was there too. All of them were there together at Solomon's portico. So they were committed to evangelism. Now I may need to remind you what signs and wonders are. This is a, a theme throughout the Acts. You see over and over again, it's some 17 times that some miracle happened that, that God used to see people come to know Jesus. And so signs and wonders is something that we see through the book of Acts, that God did something miraculous, and as a result of that, people came to know Jesus. And so a sign is anything that God does uh, that points to a greater truth. Uh, the greatest example of that is Jesus himself, when, like, whenever he heals Lazarus or raises Lazarus from the dead. Right? There's a sign, points to a greater truth, and what's the greater truth? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Right, so these, these miracles happen. The reason they happen is to point to a greater truth. And the wonder is that this amazement of seeing what God has done. And what we see in the text is that God uses these signs and wonders to captivate an audience so that Peter or somebody else can preach the good news of Jesus. Right, so they're not just going to Solomon's portico to, to show off their giftedness. Right, I need you to catch that. They're not, they're not going to Solomon's portico so for people to see Peter heal people and things like that. They're going so that God may would, would do something miraculous so people would come and that Peter and the rest of the church could preach the gospel. Like that was the intent. Like that's why they were going to where they were going, not just to be fancy and put on a show, but that people could hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They were committed to evangelism. So who was committed to evangelism? Who was there? They were all there. It wasn't just up to the professionals. They were all there. All this is, read it again, it says, many signs and wonders were uh, being done regularly among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all there together. Now, I understand that the, the apostles had a, had a special gift in this moment uh, of healing, right? They were, that God used them, but the whole church was there in this idea or in this commission or in this uh, evangelism, commitment to evangelism, that all the church was there committed to it, that they all knew that they all had their own part, and sharing the gospel. Yes, it was Peter and John that, that, that through Peter that God would do these miraculous things. But who's the, who, who, the text doesn't tell us that these conversations weren't happening, that just regular old guy who just came to know Jesus wasn't having a conversation with one of his fellow Jews saying, hey, this is what Peter and John are talking about. You follow me? That all of them were there at Solomon's portico. Why were they there? Because that was a popular place to be. That's where all the people were going to be. So, so who was committed to evangelism? They, they all were. What were they doing? Signs and wonders. They, and we talked about that. And where were they? Solomon's portico. And Luke actually says that it was being done among the people. Notice this about this church is that they didn't just Think about themselves. They, they, were, they actually went among the people, and that's where they were committed to do evangelism. Not just inside the doors of the church, but actually where the people were. That each individual believer, they were committed to evangelism, which made me think of some questions this week. Is, you know, what is the primary mission of the church? When you think about the, the primary mission of Cross Point Church or the church as a whole, what is it? Some would say it's social justice. Some would say it was to reform culture. Some would say it's, am I clicking? No, okay. Uh, I'm real self-conscious about the clicking thing that you know, clicks every once in a while. Uh, but what is the mission of the church? What is, what is the primary mission? Is it all these peripheral things? And what we understand, the mission of the church is to go and make disciples. And what we see, I know it's early on in the church, but what we see is that the church wasn't, they didn't lose focus on what their primary mission was. It was that whenever we, we come to know Jesus, we're called to be evangelists. It's that simple. Whenever we become a follower of Christ, we actually follow Christ who came to seek and save the lost. 
The church was committed to evangelism. And when I say church, I mean the actual people. It wasn't just First Baptist Church of Jerusalem and that church, their job was to be about evangelism. Those was the actual people, all the people who made up the church, they individually all were committed to evangelism, of sharing the good news. They hadn't lost sight of their calling. They had zeal to be committed to God's, to the mission of God. By, nat- by the nature of being a Christian, we are witnesses. You follow me? Like by, by, by the nature of being a follower of Jesus, we are called to be witnesses, that we share the good news, that we, sh- we witness about what God has done in our life. That's what we see in Acts 1, 8, where it says, but you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit which come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. By nature of being a Christian, we are witnesses. We are to be committed to personal evangelism. Why? Why? Obviously, we, this is a new thing in the Holy Spirit empowering, but why was the early church so effective in reaching people who were far from God? It's because the church was committed to evangelism. It wasn't because Peter and John uh, had some kind of crazy mission strategy. It wasn't that they had some kind of crazy uh, something going on. Is that, no, the people, it is me. I, didn't y'all just tell me no? Go burn it. We're going to be taking up an offering for a new mic. Uh, <clears throat> after the service, we're going to pass a plate. Uh, I don't even remember where I'm at now. Uh, the reason why the church was growing significantly, obviously the Lord was blessing, but it was because the church was committed to evangelism. The church was committed to, to being among the people, to go among the people and share the good news. That they understand that being a Christian wasn't just about gathering together and, and loving on one another, but it was actually about sharing the good news. So the first thing that we see in this text is that they were committed to evangelism. And then, then Luke gives us responses to this evangelism. So number two, we see responses of, of, uh, of their evangelism. We see this in the end of verse 12 all the way to 14, uh, when it says uh, that, they, that they were all together in Solomon's portico. Uh, verse 13, which is a, a crazy, crazy verse, it says, none of the rest dared to join them, but they held them in high esteem. And 14 says, and more and more believers are being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So what are the responses to evangelism? What is the effects of this commitment to evangelism? The first thing that I saw is that the church's commitment to evangelism nurtured unity within the body, by the way. Uh, they, they were all there together. They, when they were, whenever they, when they committed themselves to evangelism, that there was a, there was a unity among the, even the believers that was nurtured. The second thing that we see is that not all joined them. Like that's, like I need you to understand that, that not all of them joined them, that, that there were signs and wonders that were being done. Peter, I'm sure, was preaching. The church was there. They were committed to evangelism. And, and actually, Scripture says they esteemed them highly, as in there were people that thought these Christians were good people. They were even paying attention to what was going on, but none of the rest dared to join them. So what's the first response to this this evangelism is that not all of them believed. 
Even though they held them in high esteem, not all of them believed. Now, there could be a couple reasons why they didn't believe or didn't want to join them. There could have been a couple of things they could have been fearful of. Number one, they could have been fearful of the Sanhedrin. Maybe the people knew that that uh, Peter and John had been warned by the Sanhedrin not to speak in the name of Jesus, that if they kept doing that, that they would get in trouble. So maybe they were saying, you know what? You know, I respect what you're doing, but I don't want to put my, I don't want to put my life on the line for that. But probably what was happening is that word had gotten out about Ananias and Sapphira. That's what I think. Now, I'm not a theologian, if you will, that's written about and things like that. But if, if I had heard about Ananias and Sapphira, here's these two Christians who were just taken out, I may be apprehensive about joining that movement too. Let's be honest for a moment. But more than that, let's get deeper into the situation, is that I really think what Luke's trying to show us here is that the people who were observing this, what they understood is that this Christianity thing couldn't be done half-hearted. Like it was impossible to be done half-hearted. Why? Because your life was at stake. Like it wasn't something for the early church that, that whenever they saw these things happening, they realized, hey, that's something serious. That God obviously takes his church very serious, but also there's an enemy that doesn't like the church. So therefore, if I'm going to name the name of Jesus, I better be ready to put my life on the line. If I'm really going to name the name of Jesus, then I better actually want to pursue holiness. Like if I'm really going to put my, if I'm really going to say, yes, I will join them, then my life actually has to match up to that. And so they do the respectful thing, says, hey, kudos to you, but I'm not jumping in that. I actually, I actually read uh, something this week that was talking about Ananias and Sapphira, is that if the Lord still acted like that every day in us, then the church would have to ha- hire their own morticians to be on staff. Because we've made it so easy to believe and so easy to be a Christian and so easy to be a church member that I can, yes, yes, I'm a Christian, but have no desire to follow Jesus at all. Am I stepping on anybody's toes? I'm sorry. No, I'm not. But that's the picture here is that these people, hey, yes, God's good. I mean, I see these Christians, they're doing their thing, but I ain't half-hearted because I know that's a pretty serious thing. So we see that I I really do believe that one of the results of them committing to evangelism personally is that corporately they grew in unity. But I also think we see here is that one of the responses, not all of them joined them. But we also read that multitudes believed. Actually, we've seen some big numbers believe already, right? 3,000, couple thousand at a time. Luke actually writes that more than ever believers were being added to the Lord. More than ever? Like, what? More than ever believers are being added to the Lord. So we see that many people believed. And so the church is committed to evangelism. We see that even though they were committed to evangelism, it doesn't mean that everybody believed, but in their commitment to seeing people come to know Jesus, that people actually came to know Jesus. The third thing in this text that I want to point out 
is that the news of this evangelism began to spread. So much. Am I, what's going on? Dila, I'm about to point this mic and I'm going to run out of here. All kind of self-conscious about this thing. My face red? But the news of their evangelism, the news of what God was doing began to spread. And this is the very first time that we get any hint that the gospel is going outside of Jerusalem. Right? So at this point, they were stuck in Jerusalem, right? They, they're still hanging out. Uh, the text reads in 15, and it says, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on the cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now that's Peter's, obviously Peter's prestige is pretty, that people know, hey, the, word, the, the Lord's work at the Peter. Now scripture doesn't tell us that these people were actually healed by Peter's shadow. It just said that, that the, the people saw God working so much in the apostles that they would just hope that maybe Peter's shadow would heal them. Check out this, verse 16. It says, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So we see that the church has been committed to evangelism in the face of adversity, so much so they were so committed to uh, committed to this evangelism, committed to this sharing the good news that they returned to the very first place that they were arrested at. Why? Because they knew that that's where the people were going to be. And in their commitment, not everybody came to know Jesus, but many, many did. So much so that the, the, the word, the fame of what they were doing began to spread out, that the neighboring co- uh, towns would then begin to bring their sick and their demon possessed so that they could be, they could be healed. This, more, this week, I was reminded of another text, Matthew chapter four. I want to paint that picture in your mind of of what's going on there in Acts and ask you, does it sound familiar of Jesus' own ministry? In Matthew chapter four, verse 23, it says this, and he went through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So check, check this out. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, And they brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee to Decapolis and to Jerusalem, to Judea and beyond the Jordan. So Jesus in his own ministry, we see this happening in his own, that when he began to teach, he began to heal, that that people just started coming from all around. They started bringing their people, right? And, but check out what he says in chapter five. So in the context of these, these sick and these people who were close to these sick people, bringing them to Jesus or bringing them to the apostles in chapter five, check out how, so this is Matthew chapter five. It says, so Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. Verse three, begins, beginning of the Beatitudes, says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Justin, where are you going with this? My, for the first time this week, my mind went away from Peter and John and the church, and I began to think about the people who, who needed, who had somebody, somebody in their family was sick, 
And they said, I've got to get my people to Peter. Like, I know somebody who's demon-possessed. If I can just get them to these people who know Jesus, then they could be healed. It's the same picture we see in Matthew chapter 4. Here's this Jesus guy who can heal, who can clean, who can, who can deliver. And then he starts to be added to He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. So just how does that tie it all? Because here's the response to the gospel is that there were many people around Jerusalem that knew that they needed help. They were truly poor in spirit. So much so that they would bring them from everywhere else, that they would bring them from the surrounding area. And what we see is that this gospel ministry, this 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 commitment to evangelism, that it encourages the poor in spirit. People that know that they don't have it together, people who know how helpless they are, that's who the gospel's for. That's who this ministry is for. When we say the poor in spirit, we're speaking about people that, the people that those who know that they need it. For those who know they need Jesus, come the benefits of embracing him. And who is it that receives the benefits of Jesus' grace and power? Those who are humble and poor and desperate. I want you to catch this this morning. Imagine it. Imagine you living the church at this time. And here was this Peter and John, here was this church and you had a loved one who was sick or demon-possessed, or you yourself was sick, and you knew that these people could actually help them or help you. You would come to them absolutely poor in spirit, right? You follow me? I need you to catch that, right? Everybody with me? And what we see is there's a group of people who who the gospel actually reaches. They see the benefit of the gospel. But what we're about to see in chapter five is that the gospel, saying gospel ministry, it, it enrages a prideful heart. That this gospel ministry, for those who know that they're poor in spirit, they're actually poor in spirit. The gospel is the greatest thing in the world. But for, for us who are prideful, the gospel it intrudes our, our pride. That's exactly what we see with the religious leaders the next week. But here's the question for you this morning, Christian. How do you approach Christ? Like right now in your life, if, 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 the, if the beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom, it is the poor in spirit who, 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 who experience the blessing of knowing Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question, Christian, now. How are you approaching Christ today? In your own spirit, in whatever manner your spirit is, how do you go about your day when it comes to approaching Christ and the things of God? Do we still come to Christ poor in spirit, needy, desperate, helpless, hopeless? Or have we become like a middle class in spirit to where, to where we really can take care of ourselves, but we're just trying to find a little of assistance in case? 
Listen to me, child of God. You come to Christ poor in spirit or you do not come to him at all. Woe to us when we arrive at a place that we forget how poor we actually are. Listen to me, if you're here this morning suggesting I'm not a Christian, do you understand how broken you are? Do you feel the brokenness in your life? The neediness in your life? Do you feel it? Do you realize it? Do you know it? That's good. Because Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom. Matter of fact, Jesus says in Matthew 19, 24, it says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom. This is this obviously talking about physical money, but it's also talking about this pride within our own hearts. We come to him poor in spirit. And sadly, we will see it even in chapter five is that many don't come to him because of pride in their own life. Here's what I was encouraged by this morning as I sat and walked through this passage is that the apostles didn't develop a, a business plan or a military, military strategy that started with the elite. They followed the compassionate strategy of Jesus that he modeled. That this gospel started with the marginalized. With the social, oh, it started in the social fringes. It started with a group of people who knew how jacked up they were. And they ran as fast as they could to maybe get in the shadow of Peter. You catching me this morning? Like I know I've been all around the world to get to this point. But that's, that's this church that we're we're studying like that's the people that this movement started with people who who knew they were they were hungry <laughs> and thirsty and they found where to get water and they ran there as fast as they could understanding how broken they were within themselves and may we as a church never forget that it's the poor in spirit who in it, whose is the kingdom. Whenever pride or self-sufficiency begins to, to grow within us, may we ask the Lord through his Holy Spirit to put that to death. Because, oh man, we're all susceptible of it. Every single one of us. It is the poor in spirit. Man, I'm telling you all this week for the first time, I, my eyes went away from Peter and John to the people who were just running from, from outside countries just to get there, just to get healed, just to, just to get somebody help. They were poor in spirit and they received the blessing that they needed. They received grace. Who missed it? The prideful. Hey, you broken this morning? The only thing that'll keep you from experiencing grace and mercy 
is being too prideful to bring it to Christ. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You're exactly who the gospel is for and who God uses to spread his gospel message. What's the application? Are you committed to personal evangelism? By nature, the Adrian Rogers says, a Christian who does a witness is a contradiction in terms. Are you committed to sharing the good news? Justin, I'm done with that. that, was, that was, I'm going to leave it to the younger ones. No, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you still have breath in your lungs. You're called to be committed to evangelism. I want to remind you that all will believe, but we pray for the Lord to turn Give people spirits that are poor so they will choose to believe. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you that we can look at the, this text this morning and, and just see the, the nuts and bolts of being a Christian is that we commit to commit to one another and we commit to to your mission and that we commit to to sharing your good news God I thank you that this gospel reaches even within the fringes even within the outcasts for those that are poor in spirit God I pray if there's anyone in here uh, this morning who doesn't know you, God, that you are, you're drawing to yourself, that God, that today they feel, they feel the, the depths of their, the poverty within their own flesh, the brokenness. God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit will, will bring them to your throne. That today, God, that your Holy Spirit would teach them that they don't have to get it together to know you. They just have to believe and trust in you, God. For any believer in here this morning who maybe pride has welled up in our hearts, God, I pray that we lay that down on the altar. God, that we remain poor in spirit, dependent upon you. God, I pray that you give us eyes this week to see where you're at work and call and give us faith to be obedient to, to commit this week to, to sharing the good news with those that are around us. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand.